0: Hello,
1: and welcome to Design Matters, where we talk about matters of design because it does. I'm Trevor Page.
2: Hey, I'm Steve Martinez. Uh, Just so we get this out of the way, we're both employees of uh, Blizzard Entertainment currently, uh, and we do this podcast because we love talking about video games. And honestly, out of all the video games that we love talking about, I'd wager a guess that we love talking about CRPGs, uh, you know, the most. because. Uh, I mean they are just some the last 20 years of playing like games like Baldur's Gate, Ice with Dale, uh, Neverwinter Nights. Um they have this kind of nostalgia and this feeling that kind of just reminds me of when I used to game when I was a kid.
1: So do we have a CRPG to talk about today?
2: Oh, do we. <laughs> we have Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire today. Uh, a very a very beautiful game from Obsidian Entertainment, uh, which is actually located pretty close to us in Orange County, I believe.
1: Yeah, they're like uh, they're right down the street in Irvine from Blizzard.
2: So they're neighbors. So we'll treat them well. Uh, not <laughs> like it's actually that tough because, uh, spoiler alert, this is a very, very enjoyable game. Um, and actually, serious spoiler alert, we will most likely be spoiling this game for you. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. Um, personally, I think the journey is probably more important than destination with games like this. But uh, for those who don't want to lose like the big twists, you know, maybe you should go play, come back and listen to us talk about it. Yeah, this is definitely
1: going to be a conversation, a, like kind of a, a finale of the game, dissecting it, picking it apart. What did it do well? What did it do well? Um, So... It's best if you jump in and play it yourself, uh, which we both recommend you doing before sitting down and listening to this. But if you want to spoiled, that's fine too.
2: Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> so yeah. So Trevor, um, kind of curious what your initial thoughts were on picking this game up. Um, it was released several months ago. Um, so try to put yourself back there and try to tell me a little bit about what you thought about this game. Jumping in. Um,
1: so, I've been playing games like this for a long time. My dad bought Baldur's Gate 1 way, way long ago, um, and that was kind of my introduction into it. I would play it when he wasn't, and then I'd beat the game well before he did, because <laughs> I'm good at video games. Um, but I, I've, I've, like, like you, I've grown up with this genre. Um, I played Pillars 1. I was pretty excited when that came out. Um, one of the very few things I actually kickstarted um playing it though i was kind of disappointed it, really? it it felt like a lot of so maybe this was just my expectations but i expected like a better boulder skate 2 like you know take what we had there improve on those systems make it modern and tell a story tell tell a new story in that same space and it didn't do that for me it it, it felt like um like half of kind of the games that came before it. Like you didn't have basic things such as uh, party relationships or love dynamics, um, you know, really minor things, but <laughs> it it ends up adding up to me. Um, so with Pillars 2, I was I was already on board, because I didn't think Pillars 1 was bad. I just was a little disappointed.
2: Yeah, um, so it sounds like you're saying it seems a little bit undercooked.
1: Right. Like, yeah. it, it could have it could have been more. I, I wanted more out of it. Uh, so Pillars 2, I was like, all right, I'm giving you a shot already. Don't need to advertise the game to me. I'm on board. Whenever it's out, it's out. Let's go. Um, and I like this a lot. It, it definitely was closer to what I was expecting the first one to be. Um, it took it in a few kind of fun directions with the ship stuff, which we'll talk about later, both good and bad. Um, it brought back a lot of the features I expected from this type of game. It gave me a story I, I enjoyed. I thought it was good. It's not as grandiose as the ones that come before it, which is weird because it's a dealing with a literal god.
2: Yeah, it's like a, it's so over the top in so um, many ways.
1: But yeah, it it was a it was a good journey. What about you? What'd you think?
2: Uh, I like really, really, really high level. Uh, initially I did not like it. <laughs> and i love these types of games um some of that was a little bit of like kind of like the residue so to speak from the first one which i thought was uh i thought i really enjoyed that crpgs were continuing but i was really disappointed in the way that combat played in the, in the first one uh, it was a huge turnoff for me uh, i tend to be uh, a bit more gameplay oriented i think Um than some when I play these games I because they generally, you know, CRPGs have such rich stories and the relationships between characters are so important and vibrant that, uh, gameplay can take a second seat or appears to. Uh, so anyway, that's enough about the first one. I thought it, it was a little <laughs> bit busy on the, on the combat side. Um, initially with this one, I was, I was a little confused initially, even after playing the first one and beating it. Um, I was I was a little confused in how it, how it started out, uh, and how kind of Iathas kind of bursts out from the ground, conveniently destroying your base, and for- <laughs> forcing you to go from scratch. Um, and actually, I was reading a bit about this recently and discovered that the reason for you starting back at square one was because when Iathas, you know, exploded your your home, uh, I forget what it's called, it's like Kalnula or whatever. Yeah. Uh it like takes a piece of your soul with it, and that's kind of like the sense of like I have lost all of my accumulated abilities and powers since start at level one. Um, which I didn't really pick up on during the intro. But I mean it's fine, but you gotta you gotta it's kind of like a deuce ex max kind of thing, right? You you gotta like it moves the story forward and allows you to start in a place where, you know, new players can jump in, they don't feel overwhelmed by all the abilities and powers. So, that being said, um I was a little confused starting out. Uh, the The combat, I think, is significantly improved from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really follow a lot of the feedback that was received post-launch for the first game. But if I had to guess, I would bet a lot of it would revolve around the combat language in that game being really muddy. Uh, partly due to the, like what is it, like seven companions plus pets. Um, I didn't really know what was going on in combat. Uh, they reduced the combat, the companion capacity in this game, right? To like mm-hmm. five characters from seven? Is that what it yeah, was? Yeah,
1: uh, You're down to five from six. Okay. yeah. But if you have like a pet or a ranger, you know, yeah. you're going to have more uh, AI companions. But those are pretty basic and don't require a lot of management.
2: Which is nice. Yeah. Um, They introduced, I think... Clearly, they knew that that was a problem because they introduced that whole AI scripting system into the, into the overall combat system, which is reminiscent of Dragon Age Origins, which anyone who plays CRPGs know, it's probably one of the best ones out there in the past 15 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah 15 years. I'll stick by that. <laughs> <laughs> it's um,
1: a very good AI system. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I found with this game, though, I had to use it because the default AI was so dumb. Like, um, there was a, uh, who's the mage? Uh, Aloth. Yeah, uh, Aloth. Yeah, Aloth. He gets a mid-level game. He gets, like, a fireball spell. Uh, But I was noticing this with a lot of my casters. They would just throw it and hit half my party with it all the time because the base AI scripted to, it's like, oh, when you start a fight, cast this spell. (laughs) <laughs> Who cares if it hits half your party and does all that? So it's like, no, you don't get to cast this spell unless I tell you. And I had to go and write AI to for a number of my casters to say that. To no, 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 Right. I tell you when I want you to hurt my party members.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm the master here. Uh yeah, yeah. Uh do they have a did the scripting include I I'm pretty sure I have the ability to look for a grouping of enemy targets? But I don't remember if it had the ability to have like negative conditions, like uh, if this, then don't like use this.
1: I don't recall. I don't okay. think I set any of those up.
0: Right.
2: I didn't. I know they improved the AI scripting system uh, in in some subsequent patches, but initially it was there was like a massive list of different conditions you could use, but some of the things that I really wanted to do were not included on that list. Huh. Like what? I'm trying to remember right now. <laughs> I, think, I think it was basically like the gotcha. negative... I know, right? I think it was the negative uh, condition scenarios where I could have multiple conditions for firing a single ability. Uh, because, okay. you know, having a single positive condition is sufficient for many abilities. Like, like the positive condition uh, target ally or ally in my party has less than 25% health remaining. Mm-hmm. And it's like, clearly heal them. Uh, but that's that. I don't think that was sufficient for some of the more complex tactics that you expected out of your followers. Um, you know, then again, like being able to pause because this is like pausable real time battles. Uh, really, it really allows you to, you know, make decisions that the AI clearly you know isn't capable of making.
1: Uh, And how did combat break down for you? Like, are you are you the type of person to just take your main character? and control that only and just write the AI for the rest of your companions and hope it works out? Or were you more of the, the micro commander, like moving each person individually and selecting each person's abilities?
2: Well, I found that the game in most cases was easy enough where I didn't have to do a lot of AI tweaks. Um, I made a bunch initially because I just sort of saw some glaring errors, but after that... I noticed that I could kind of let them run and then I would step in when necessary. Uh, The only problem that I found with that was particularly with spellcasters where abilities, they run out of spells in that spell level. Mm -hmm. And I was personally like, I was biding my time to cast a specific spell, not realizing that they were just running out of charges, you know, preemptively because I hadn't really built anything in to tell them not to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the biggest problem that I ran into. So I started actually disabling some of the higher levels, the higher spell level spells, so that I would have them available to myself as like an oh shit button, so to speak. Uh, I did the same thing. Yeah.
1: I did the exact same thing because I, I, even with the cleric, I I would run into situations where it's like, oh, you are casting the wrong spell right now and now I don't have a heal. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Right.
2: because that's a really binary like like if you don't have that that could be the end of the battle and it's one thing for that failure failure to mean combat is going to take a bit longer and be more difficult versus i am now going to lose because i don't have my she has some zodi right has some powerful heals at her disposal
1: oh yeah yeah
2: um and when you don't have them they are game breakers
1: yeah, there are quite a few abilities she has where it's just like, all right, let's just full heal everyone. <laughs> uh, another thing I remember we talked about before, like a, a big improvement on the second one over the first one was the simplification of like debuff types.
2: Oh, man. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> you Cause
1: talk fir- about that. Yeah, because the first <laughs> one I remember, like me and you both shared this problem, like every every spell created its own unique debuff and they all did different things and there was like 15 different ways you could slow someone and it was so confusing to like manage how how you have to dispel them and what is affecting your character because they all have unique art and they're all four pixels big on your character so you have to pause, mouse over okay, what terrible thing is this character afflicted with so this time around things are really simplified and that's
0: good
2: Right. Right. Uh I actually have a pretty funny example of that because I was trying to like I was we talked about it a bunch the previous game about like like you just said and it still happens in this game. It's not nearly as prevalent. Um it doesn't happen as often in combat, but it is I think still a problem in their in their item system. So, if, mm-hmm. so for for instance, uh, like I'm gonna play the scenario out for you. Uh, I had just gotten this weapon in game called Griffin's Blade. Okay, and it's a, um, it's like a long sword. It's a one-handed sword, um, and it and it has this ability called Loyal, loyal Companion, and it just said like the on the weapon affixes is like additional effects grants Loyal Companion. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> What's Loyal Companion? My first mm-hmm. guess was like maybe it summons like. A loyal companion, right? That that fights with me. It doesn't do any of that. So <laughs> basically, my first thought was like, okay, click some loyal companion. Loyal companion says, okay, use once per encounter. Uh, it does an allied AoE effect to provide steadfast for twelve seconds when the wielder is bloodied. I'm like, okay. First off, what's steadfast? Oh, uh, steadfast provides plus five resolve. Okay, <laughs> this is all me going like uh you know buff to buff. I'm like, all right, well uh what's resolve again? Okay, uh resolve improves will and deflection defense. Okay, what are will and deflection defense? So mouse is over defenses. It's like okay, uh will and deflection defense, uh deflection used to resist most direct weapon attacks. All right, I actually understand that. I don't know what plus five to that is. And by right. the way, it's not plus five to that. It's plus five to resolve, which then affects the will defense, but not necessarily by five. Uh, and then, like, I'm oh, sorry, reflex. And will is the, let's see, almost all mental attacks are opposed by will. And so basically, and, but then we haven't even finished this yet because it only provides this bonus when the character is bloodied. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well then what's bloodied? uh between 50% health and 25% health is considered bloodied. Okay, so equipping this weapon provides a plus 5 to resolve for allied characters within 5 meters when the character that is equipping it is between 25 and 50% health. I have no way of <laughs> taking that information and Reverse engineering that into an understanding of how powerful that is because I'm making that comparison of Loyal Companion against other uh, other buffs on other weapons uh-huh. because I it's an exceptional, uh, quality weapon. I have multiple exceptional quality swords, and most of them are differentiated by a unique effect like this. I have no I have no way of, like, rolling this information back to, like, a number, even just, you know, this, this guess mentally, to so that I can make comparison against another weapon. And that is actually kind of my biggest, probably single problem for this game, is that it is so obscure, and, and the real power of things seems so obfuscated that it's just difficult to kind of put that all in your head at once and in doing so make a determination of what to equip. And as a corollary, when abilities do things like this, it's hard to understand when to use them in battle because you don't really understand their true effectiveness because there are so many steps. Uh, Anyway, this is a problem that has plagued uh, the Pillars of Eternity games. I, I think part of the reason is because they made a decision to go with an entirely different system than things that people may be familiar with. You know, like like D and D, you know, War Warhammer, you know, some more popular systems. So I think it's they were like, we're gonna go this entirely different direction and, and they, they pulled it off. Like they they created this full fledged system. But it's just not really understandable, I think, to the average player.
1: That's the that's the weird thing though, is they started with D and D as a base. Right, and and that's where I was coming in with a lot of my knowledge, which helps me quite a bit. So like, it has fortitude, reflex, and will, uh, as secondary defenses, in addition to whatever they call armor class, like deflection, I think, or whatever. But those three, like that's that's Dungeons and Dragons, like straight up. So right. that helped me. Uh, even the term bloodied is, uh, they had that in like fourth edition, and that just means half health or lower. When you were saying like bloodied is half health and twenty five percent, I just learned that right now from you. <laughs> I just assumed it was fifty percent or lower because I know that term from from fourth edition. I assumed that it would mean the same thing in a, a similar D and D fantasy role playing type setting, and I was wrong.
2: <laughs> so I, I never played fourth edition. That's interesting.
1: Um, I totally get what you're saying. It, it I ran into a lot of that problem. Or a lot of those problems myself, what I ended up doing was just mentally simplifying it. So with that sword, for example, I would read all that, and in my brain it would it would just basically translate to this is a tanking sword. It makes you harder to kill for a small period. And like that's all that it would register as in my mind. And when I would equip people, it would be like um When I'm equipping uh, Matt Mercer, it's like, okay, I'm going to give you defensive-themed items. So this is a defensive sword. I'm going to give you a defensive sword. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, on on my Ranger, I want offensive things. So if I got a weapon that gave me a defensive buff, uh, I wouldn't equip it. And that's kind of how I would simplify it, um, at least in my brain. And and that got me through most of the game.
2: Right, right. I think that's probably the only way that you can really do it. Yeah. Uh. Except the other option being just ignore it entirely, and then you know why are you playing? But, um, I I think it's like classic example of complexity without adding depth. Mm -hmm. Right? It's just just the addition of complexity, but it doesn't actually provide the player with um a better understanding. It does provide more information, but not necessarily a better understanding. So I wouldn't claim that this level of complexity actually allows the player to make better decisions. I think it actually provides the opposite. It, it obfuscates to the point at which it makes it more difficult to make decisions because it's harder to understand the impact of the choices that you make in your items in this example.
1: And it, it, it doesn't add anything to the game like yeah. that complexity. It, if that sword said plus two to fortitude and armor, and that's all it said when below half out like if it if that was the line perfect done that would not make that a less interesting item than what it is right or even even if it was just plus 1 ac like that would be that would still be an interesting item because the uh, it, it's it's gone to the complete other end of the spectrum where if this if this then this but only for this period and it's just like well too much i don't care
2: <laughs> it's too situational
0: <laughs>
1: yeah you, you've yeah. you've pigeonholed this item into a box and i can't foresee the situation where where i will need this so right. fuck it
2: because <laughs> i'm not in this spot where i'm like watching the person who equipped this item to reach like below 50 percent health but not you know below 25 and then to be like ah this is my chance to do to do what to do nothing honestly i It doesn't change anything. I. It seems like a pretty. When you have like seventy or eighty defense plus five result, I actually have no idea how much defense that adds. But let's just pretend that's five. Like that's, you know, that's less than ten percent. Like that's like that's not a game maker. Like that doesn't change anything. It's just something that happens. Uh. Anyway, we we probably talk about this all day because it's probably my number one gripe about this game because mainly because. It it's It becomes more difficult to enjoy the rest of the game right. and like it gets in its own way and i I kind of wish that this type of stuff would step aside so you could enjoy the things in the game I think that are interesting and that are uh, needle movers um particularly you know the the second half of the story I thought was something that was just really took off and some some of the uh the pc or sorry the Follower companion relations relationships with both with you and with uh, other companions. Um, you usually don't see too much companion to companion relationship building or relationship dissonance mm-hmm. um, than I saw in this game.
1: There's it. has it, been a staple of a number of games, like and, and to varying degrees, right? So back back in the Baldur's Gate days. You could have party members just flat out leave, right? If mm-hmm. you go really against their alignment, if you're a, you know, chaotic good, and you keep doing chaotic good things, your lawful evil party member is going to take off. But you're right, like it's not because, or not really affected by other members of your party causing them to take off,
2: right? It's your choices and how that corresponds to the alignment of their of your companion.
1: Yeah. Well, in this game, it is absolutely like, hey, I don't like this other person that you're partying around with because of what they've been saying in in dialogue. And that's really cool. Right. Um, I thought the, um, the kind of motivators that each NPC had or each of your party members of like, you know... Uh, this guy likes when you're kind to animals. This person likes when you're snarky. You know, th- those kind of different things. And each person has ones that they like and dislike. That was a really cool system. Mm-hmm. Um, Where it kind of fell flat for me was in building the relationships with them. Because, all right, say uh, Takahu, right? Like the, uh, the walking sea anemone. Mm-hmm. I got him kind of late. Um, I did a lot of exploring once I got my ship, and I didn't go to Nekataka for a long time. So even when I got to Nekataka, I solved like four, zone- four of the little subzones of that city's problems and quest lines before I even, even went up to the palace. And <laughs> then I get him. As a result, that is all content that I can't build relationships with him on.
2: Ah, I see. I see. And
1: it is a finite amount. It's like, you know, say say it's 500 points, right? Whatever. I'm just making up a number. 500 theoretical possible relationship points with this character throughout the whole game. And I've done 300 of that without him. Mm-hmm. So the highest I can get is 200 now. Uh that happened with a couple of my party members. I I ran out of content to increase their relationship with me. High enough to advance their storyline. And that felt really shitty.
2: Huh. <laughs> this is funny. I never picked that character up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I know you talked about him before. I'm aware of his existence. But mm-hmm. I. Uh, like I guess fun fact. I never beat this game. Okay, uh, I got like 30 or 40 hours in. Uh, and I just did like a lot of random stuff. Um, and I got. I got to basically just pass Eathos and the Ashen Mall, or whatever that is. Basically, like I get, it seems like it's the end of the second act when he just kind of reveals his plan, essentially. Uh, and had been to uh, Nekitaka. I'm the to say up, but that's Warhammer. Um, <laughs> I I've been to that palace a bunch of times, and I just had never seen that character. No.
1: So kind. <laughs> Did you use the um the bird paladin girl?
0: Uh Maya? No, yeah. uh
1: she was the ranger.
2: Oh. The, um Yeah, uh, what I know. Was her name? I don't know. Palad remember. Oh, yes. Yeah, I actually replaced uh a deer with her because I didn't need the tanking.
1: So I I don't remember a lot of what I did in Pillars 1. Um it was, it was a long time ago. I was like, oh, I'm going to replay it before Pl- Pillars 2 and remember what the story is. And I got like two hours in. I'm like, nope. Um, so I, I made my backstory and I was like, oh, a generally good one. And then I run into her in Nekataka and she's just fucking mad at me for <laughs> some reason. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to deal with you. Goodbye forever. And that was it. <laughs> wow. You didn't recruit her? No, she was (laughs) so mad. And I don't remember what happened. So I'm like, oh, okay, bye. I I think I said one snarky thing to her and she's just like, I'm not having any of your shit. Good luck with your life. There's a lot of those in the game. Um, And it kind of just, what I found was, because I I beat the game doing a a pretty good character. And then I got, I don't know, like a quarter of it on a second playthrough being, like, a complete asshole and evil. <laughs> and it really comes down to, like, are are you... Which choices are you picking most of the time? Are you picking the snarky choices, the honest ones, the stoic ones? And that would just completely lock you into one storyline or another on a lot of these quests. Um, hmm. The thing I know... Or one of the early ones, it, like, the first island in the game. Like, you find the guy who got beat up from one of the Juana and she took his money, right? Like, mm-hmm. in, the, in the first Oh, period. yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, you go, and you find her in her village, and you try to resolve the situation. My good character got the money back, got her to apologize, situation resolved, got a reward. My evil character, he was just being snarky. It wasn't even evil. It was just <laughs> like, uh, you, 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 how much honor do you really have? You took money from a guy you beat up, you right. know? And That's she's legit. just like, well, fuck you. And then... I, I, I have to attack her, and this is in her village, so for some reason, the entire village decides to attack me, too, um, so I kill all of them, and then I get back to town, and the mayor is just like, why did you kill their leader? It's going to be so hard to free your boat now. It wasn't. It, it was the exact same thing to free my boat eventually. But
2: like this is Port Maje and like the Juana village right next to it, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I murdered that
2: village. <laughs> wow. They
1: were dead. Over like, I don't know, two hundred copper.
2: Right, right. Like who even knows?
1: However, much was in a pouch from a barf a bar fight ended a village's life.
2: <laughs> you're just a messenger, you're just telling it like it is
1: and that's okay. kind of the whole game right like is it Baldur's Gate 2 was this massive massive epic storyline of like different chapters and moving from place to place with a few kind of side quests sprinkled here and there but for the m- most part it was a a massive storyline and that's mm-hmm. what you were playing through this game is a lot of very very small contained stories just everywhere mm-hmm. like every Every island you go to with like a, a dungeon right is there's is a storyline for that dungeon there's a right. storyline for that island, or the pirates have their overarching storyline the The different trade companies have their overarching storylines um, and as a consequence, the main one with you and Aothos it doesn't feel super cool until towards the end, right um. And that's that's one thing I was a little disappointed with. Uh, I liked it though, like I, I liked the Aethos storyline, um, but I didn't like. Um, just I don't know. It felt it felt short to me. It could have been a, a, a so much more of a focus, and that's the that's the downside with all these open world, you know, RPGs. If you want to take this route, your main storyline is going to suffer because you have to have content.
2: Yeah, yeah, pacing is super difficult with an open world game.
1: Yeah, how do you, how do you pace something that someone can do in any order?
2: Right. Yeah, cuz if you restrict it, it seems like you're gating content cuz you essentially are. And then if you allow it, then someone gets through the game in you know, an hour and you know. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they,
1: you could sprint this game in like sub 4 hours,
2: right? Right. And, uh, and, like, yeah, you get the main story, but you wouldn't get all the enriching content and, like, the the relationships, which are technically ancillary, but you need them to all combine to create a story that has, that feels like it has, like, this just epic feel to it, you know? Mm-hmm. just just, like, you know, Odyssey-type, just amazing, like, high-fantasy adventure-type scenario. The, um...
1: One other thing the story did really well um, was the brief kind of meetings almost with you and the Pantheon of Gods. I thought that was handled so, so well. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, like, so I come from a, I've been playing D&D since my teens. And once you start getting into the the kind of higher level content in Dungeons & Dragons, like, you know, level 14, 15 and up. Um, some of the gods start coming into play and you you realize just how insignificant you are in the grand scheme of things like when you're dealing with concepts like immortality and like the entire cycle of life and death It, it gets it gets heavy and you're like I thought I was really strong because I can kill bandits, right, and mm-hmm. now it's like i'm dealing with world ending stuff, and this game does that, and it does it really well, like early on you're you're just listening in on these conversations with all the gods, and you you speak up and they either just ignore you or they get mad that you're speaking yeah, yeah. and you're, that
2: was- you're clearly out of your depth and they make it, they make it clear to you in case you've forgotten that you do not know what you're talking about.
1: And that was awesome. I yeah. love that. And then you see the, the dynamic shift as the game progresses of, like, they realize they can't do anything, and you have to do something for them. Mm-hmm. So then it's, it's them kind of trying to tell you what to do. But they're not asking for your help. They're telling you to do what they want you to do.
2: Right. But they still can't force you because... Right. But they need at, you to. Right. And that's actually a really cool point to bring up because... You don't discover till like the second half of the story that they are not in control of the situation, not at all. And if anyone is other than Aethos, it's you. Yeah. And so initially, you realize that they're making these demands, and you're like, "Well, it's like six gods are telling me to do this thing. Like, I should probably do this thing." And then you start to realize that they're actually desperate, and you are really the only hope that they have, and they've kind of. They have not really come to terms with that, um, which is funny because they're gods, but I guess, you know, hubris and all that. And then you discover that you are really the one who has control if, well, except for Aophas, uh, which I thought you were right. I thought that was like super interesting. Uh, and not just like the fact that that happens, but like that whole transition where when you kind of start to discover, when you, start, when you see the cracks start to form, when they start talking and arguing with each other and you're like, wait, you're not like, and you're not omnipresent like unified forces like you are you know a series of fractured entity entities and you don't really you don't really know what the best move is like you have uh i guess we should go into it a little bit like the the whole premise of the story is is really that um oh man this is, actually it might take a second so the, the idea in, 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 this, in this game world is that uh, as uh, entities, as, like, humans, or Kith or whatever, they die, they, their souls kind of go into this, like, cycle that then, then get, like, almost, like, reincarnated and spit, spit back out at the beginning, and then they continue, like, a new, they have a new life, same soul, but a new life, and then this is a cycle they call it the wheel in the game, right? Um mm-hmm. And Athos's whole shtick is like, uh this is uh this is essentially slavery in a way, like for your souls, because you don't really have this any choice over the matter. And the only reason the wheel really exists is to keep these gods uh, continuing, and I'm going to break the wheel, both literally and figuratively, and so that souls will not now inhabit, they won't reincarnate anymore. And that's his, that's his whole, you know, that's his whole setup. And that's kind of like where he is. And once you kind of discover that, you, I, it's really hard to know what the right choice is. Um, Mm -hmm. On one hand, breaking the wheel gives you some sort of like meta control over your, over your lives, right? Over the, over your soul's life. But it also prevents you from. Well, at least you don't know this, but like based on your knowledge, you're like, well, this is it then. This, if I break the wheel, then when I die, then I don't come back. And it, it's an interesting question. Like, would I rather have uh, an immortality uh, in chains, even if those chains aren't visible to me? Or would I rather have one life that is completely and totally uh, free of outside influence? That's a great question.
1: Yeah, and uh,
2: and the gods don't know what the answer is. Oh, I mean, they know what they want because they want to preserve themselves. But like, as far right. as like what's the right move, like they don't really, they don't really. At least when I was playing, didn't really seem to entertain uh, that. Like at a philosophical level of whether or not it was right or not, because they were so focused on their own survival.
1: Did you um? Did you look up the uh the endings or? No. Okay. So. Aethos, I loved too. It's great to have a bad guy, quote unquote, you know, that's not just an evil guy. Right. Like, he, he is doing something that he believes is in the best interests of all humanity, right? Mm. Like, this is the correct thing. And your interactions with him, it, it comes across almost like a pity. Right? Like, he's pitying you for not being able to realize that what he's doing is for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, And when you finally get to the end, it's not this big combat encounter and boss fight with this giant green stone man. It's a conversation. And what happens, and whether he breaks the wheel or he doesn't, or if the gods stick around to help out, or they don't, or... However it plays out is basically you talking to him and having a conversation and cu- giving your, your argument. And that was very, very cool. Hmm. Um,
2: I mean, because how are you supposed to fight something like that?
1: Right. You actually have that option. You have the option to be like, no, I'm going to fight you. And he's like, that would be such a sorrowful, sorrowful end to this journey. And you <laughs> would accomplish nothing. And then, like, that dialogue option's like, whatever, I don't care, fuck you, let's fight. And he just one-shots you. And,
2: <laughs> Good, and like, he should.
1: <laughs> he's a 500-story tall green statue man god. Made what of are souls. you going to do with <laughs> your bow and arrow, right?
2: Right. Oh, it's okay, I have little companion. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get bloodied if you get killed on one hit.
1: Um, I, I want to talk about the endings a little bit yeah um so so what ends up happening is you find out like Aethos is going to that machine, the, the wheel. It is a physical thing that this ancient civilization built, and he's going to go smash it and break it, literally. But it's in the middle of this like lost city. Um, it's constantly surrounded by storms, and no one is able, no one has been able to break through that to get to the city to investigate it. Ever since it got turned on. So the game kind of presents you with five paths to get into it. And it's ally with each of the four factions or go yourself. And if you go yourself, you need to buy the best sales in the game and the best hole in the game, which are incredibly expensive. Um, and then like the pirates have this like ghost pirate ship that they think can get through. Every, everyone's got their own idea for mm-hmm. what can go through. It's just who do you wanna ally with um I didn't like that because I didn't wanna I don't know none of the none of the factions felt great to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like any of them as like, oh, you know what? you have everyone's best interests in heart or I think I appreciate your ideals like the the Hwana were just like we're a nation, we exist, you know with all the positives and negatives that come with that like they were really shitty to the poor in their, their town. So it's not like they're this benevolent nation. Yep. And then you got like the two trading companies, which are all about them. And then you got the pirates, you know, which are just pirates and they're, they're cool, you know, but whatever. So I went with option five, the, the, you know what? I'm going to go in by myself. And I did a, almost every island in the game. Like I, I cleared them out. I made a ton of money. I bought the best stuff in the game, and I sailed in by myself, and I made it through the storms. And I'm exploring, like, you get a boss fight as soon as you enter, like the Guardian of the Island, you kill him. Then you go through, and you turn off the machine that's causing the storms. And on your way to confront Aethys for the final encounter, it just, like, summons, like... I, it it ends up being the last fight you ever do in the game and it was pathetic so for me it just grabbed like i believe it was the royal deadfire company it just like ha this is our island now and there was like six guys and i it just killed them and it's like okay it it was it was a fraction of the difficulty of the guardian of the island when you first arrive and I do my thing with Aethos. I decide, you know, you know, I'm gonna break the wheel. Gods, you go away, mankind. We're gonna we're gonna try to figure this out on our own. And then in the storyline, what I expected to happen was no one gets this island. I get this island. I am the fucking watcher. Right. I I just made a deal about all of humanity. This is my place. Fuck all of you. You can come in and check this shit out, but this is my place now. Yeah. This is my new fort. That doesn't happen. Instead, like the in the narration of the ending, it's just like, Oh, the watcher leaves and everyone fights over it. And I'm like, I would not do that. This character would not do that. <laughs> and it ends up being like the worst possible outcome. Cause it just plunges the entire region into war because everyone's fighting over this island.
2: <laughs> because you didn't really like lay claim to it, because I think Sounds like you would be one of the only entities that could claim the island. Other people would be like, okay, I get it.
1: And then they would court your favor or whatever. And that's what I expected. It was like, I'm going to lay claim to this island. I didn't think that was weird. Like, you know, I was the watcher of a fortress 10 level, like when I was a baby adventurer. And now I'm dealing with the gods. I, get a, I can get a whole island to myself.
2: <laughs> I think that's so,
1: fair. So that felt kind of disappointing.
0: Right, um, right. I
1: don't know. I was bummed by that. Also, uh more than I think it was like two of my companion's quest lines terminated on that island too. So there was nothing I could really do after that or I didn't get any really cool rewards from them. Like you, um, like
2: terminated like were abandoned or were completed.
1: we're completed. Okay. So like Takahu's whole thing is like I want to restore the water shapers and figure out why their powers declining and that kind of thing. And you find like the source of the water shaper powers on that island, and he's like, "Cool, I got it, thanks." And then like the quest ends, and then the next literal thing you I did was fight the dead fire guys mm-hmm. and then thoughts. and like th- that was the end of the
2: game. Does. Does he become more powerful from finishing no. the quest
1: line? No. If he did, I didn't notice.
2: Yeah, which is the same thing, really.
1: Right. So, I got like nothing out of that, and that that kind of
2: sucked. <laughs> did you get a sense of pride and accomplishment? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, I had to say it. Uh, it sounds like you did not. Um that is crazy. That is kind of how I expected. Not not like that's your specific problems with the ending but like the basic large moving pieces is how I expected it to to play out. Because I mean I guess that's the whole thing from the beginning.
1: I think we got into the story quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um One thing I'd like to dive into is the entire kind of the ship systems mm-hmm. and the exploration and the islands. Because that's really what this game did that's unique to other CRPGs. Agreed. Um, How do you think it played out?
2: Uh, The exploration system? uh, Do you want to talk about both on-boat and off-boat? Or do you want to talk about just boats? Let's talk about boats. Okay. Uh, Exploring was boring. Uh, There was really nothing. Like, pirates? Sid Meier's pirates did a better job at exploration. Uh, than then, uh, Pillars of Eternity 2 did, uh, because at least pirates have things to do other than fighting other ships. Mm-hmm. Um, the sea-faring system in Pillars was entirely... You're either traveling or you're fighting a ship. And ship fighting, like you've said, is basically a series of menus, and that is no fun.
1: That was so weird yeah. the first time you get into ship combat.
2: Right. I feel and like you're like, missing something, right?
1: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it is, what, what's going on? Am I setting a, a loadout before I go into battle? Like, no, no, no. This okay. is happening. Okay. No, this
2: is the actual combat? Oh.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm playing a mud right now. All right. <laughs> it's like um, of
2: the red dragon all over again.
1: Did you uh, pretty much ignore all of that and sail directly into every ship?
2: Uh, initially, and then and then I started um, avoiding every ship Because combat seemed to have no upside um, I mean, yeah, you get stuff, but none of it really mattered it, No, oh,
1: I, I, I mean in, like, the actual, like, you hit another ship, ship combat menu comes up Instead of, like, doing the whole thing with, like, getting the cannon angles And, you know, turning port and starboard I just sailed straight and rammed every ship Oh, and then just had the combat on deck because that i would just mop that up real quick and be done
2: right and because uh like actual party based combat is infinitely more compelling than the ship combat that was included in this game Mm -hmm. yep uh i avoided ship combat at every turn although unlike you as opposed to going in i would just avoid the ships entirely okay because i just had no interest. And I actually enjoy ship combat, like Empire, Total War, Napoleon. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Games that I, I really enjoyed the way they handled ship combat. Sea and of I, Thieves? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. And, and I understand that this is not meant to be those games. And uh, it, it's not supposed to be, well, I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it didn't seem like it was intended to be a core feature. It seemed like it was an answer to a problem. Which was, uh, clearly you're going to engage other ships. You're going to see them and find them, and there should probably—it's a game centered around ship exploration. There should probably be combat involved, and then like this is kind of what came out of that. And I don't know, man. That just felt like it was tacked on. It did not. It was not rewarding both in game or out of game. Um, ship buffs like like new sails, new hulls. The bonuses they provided were not very chunky, you know. They didn't really mm-hmm. feel like they made made a difference. Um, and there are a lot of things that you just couldn't understand, like how many more turns do I have before this cannon can fire? It's like, well, I hope you you know wrote that down somewhere. Um, and they just handled wind really strangely, as, as if like every combat, like the the wind advantage would swap or change based on like your helmsman's uh, ability. It was like your helmsman ability and a random roll versus their helmsman ability and their random roll was whoever would get the wind gauge next. And in ship combat in other games, that's just not how it plays out. Like if you if you get like the advantage in, in, at in wind, you usually end up maintaining it just because of like how you are positioned. Mm-hmm. and even though both ships are moving, they're both dealing with the same wind, so if you're already in an advantageous position, you're more likely to remain in that position. So it's like stuff like that, which I don't think just didn't translate very well. It's like, why are you including the system where it feels like it doesn't act the way it should? Um, I, I, there's really nothing I liked about ship combat except when you ram the other ship and actually engage in party combat.
1: Yeah, the ship-to-ship combat, like, the the party combat on ships, that was cool. Um, yeah. So, I have a bit of a different perspective because I did a ton of it. Because yeah. um, I had to. Uh, bounties end up being, like, uh, an incredibly good source of money, and I needed a bunch of money to make my boat big and strong. Um, boat upgrades were so ludicrously expensive, and for minimal gains, that that was frustrating for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um... I didn't know what any of my positions did on my ship. Like, I assumed having a four star cannoner was better than having a one star. I don't know what that did to my hit percentage. I right. don't know what having a navigator did. I just know the game yelled at me if I didn't have one. So I had to put a person there and it would passively go up. Um,. So, I did get a lot out of doing ship combat, like, reward-wise, like, in-game rewards. I got, like, I would loot a bunch of stuff, I'd get the money for killing the bounty. Um, So that, I don't know, I made, I made a good amount of money doing it, but I agree, it was not fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wonder, is that engine just incapable of doing something like that? Like, two moving ships, like, and doing combat in that way? I don't know
2: I mean they do real time combat all over the place. I just right why can't a uh companion just be a ship?
0: I no, I know. know,
1: yeah, like maybe there was some some weirdness with like once two ships collide, how do you do nav mesh like yeah how how do you paint that collision? I know that was like one of the major technical hurdles for Black Flag, and you know when two ships collide. I, I remember seeing a dev diary, like, a long time ago, and it would, like, actually show the collision mapping and how it would, like, dynamically update and everything once you had two boats next to each other.
2: Sounds expensive.
1: Yes. But <laughs> that was a ship game, and you right. had to do that. So it was ne- necessary tech debt.
2: Right, right.
1: But then yeah. th- this is also a ship game. <laughs> yeah, it is. and it,
2: it It's almost like they didn't decide whether or not they wanted to make that a primary feature. So they didn't do they it, it seems like they just didn't make a decision almost, and they were just like, "Well, this is kind of what came out of it, so I guess we're just going to do this and and they're like, and I could see some of the positions saying, "Ship combat is ancillary at best, like let's focus on we have development time to spend, let's focus on making party combat good, or you know other aspects of the game." Uh, Mm -hmm. and i and i could understand hearing that and being like yes that makes sense to me but also i see the ship combat and it's like this is not telling me that you wanted me to engage in this feature it's telling me that like you needed to solve a problem and you technically have solved the problem which is two ships can engage in combat and there is a winner at the end so
0: i don't know i don't know what the intent was
1: does this game get significantly elevated if you have, like, Assassin's Creed Black Flag levels of combat with ships? Does, like, yeah, it makes the game better, but, like, does that, does that raise this up into, like, like, a masterpiece?
2: Like, move the needle? Like, I don't yeah. think so. Like, I... I think at the end of the day, ship combat is secondary, at yeah. best, to the rest of the game. Um, but you get in this weird spot when something is, like, Uh, peripheral but necessary and you're kind of like you know what do we do Um, I don't know like the whole and and more complexity without depth like okay how many dudes (laughs) need to hire you know to be on my ship oh uh this guy is uh, not a cannoneer but I need a cannoneer do you know how like when they don't have a star next to that skill you can still put them in that position but they don't gain experience in the position Right. And then it was stuff like your captain level could go up, but I have no idea what that meant, and I was looking None. for that. I got an achievement for maxing it out. Cool. Uh,
1: I don't know what else it did,
2: yeah, and like I don't need different types of like food to equip on my ship, like come on, buddy, like you there's four
1: hundred things to eat in this game, yeah, <laughs> oh my God, we were talking about that there's There's almost as many items as an m m o yeah.
2: And you don't need it. But why? Yeah.
0: <laughs> like the For enchanting who? system, and
1: it's like, well, you need these three things, and then five of this color gem, and then it's just like, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Look at. I, I wish I could show a screenshot of my bags by the end of the game, and it's like I have six hundred items just mm-hmm. sitting there. I don't know if I'll need them ever. I have enough money from selling the the fancy weapons I get, you know. And Mm -hmm. killing pirates, what?
2: (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, and it has all these consequences too. When it bloats the inventory, Um, even just speaking about like ship food, uh, and since ship food, it can also be used as like party food. Yep, which is, I guess, means fewer different items overall, but it made each item more complex because there was like a ship-based buff. the food then there was like a party-based buff for the food and they were different and and so like i didn't understand why that complexity was introduced because it didn't it didn't i never made any fun decisions based off of that it was really just like oh i've just i'm losing morale why oh i i don't have water equipped or whatever i should probably just do that and i just don't it was me just like um filling in the blanks Kind of as opposed to making cool decisions. It was right? a tax. Yeah. It was. It wasn't a fun decision. Like, right.
1: y- I, I I really quickly realized there was like one type of fish I could buy at Nikitaka for very cheap, and it would give positive morale. And I just bought like two thousand of them, and like that was my food for the game. And mm-hmm. then I would have different food that I would eat as the party, you know, like oh I want increased attack or I want stamina and like. I would buy fewer of that, and that was that was the system, Wait, right? I yep. I bought all the stuff, I I put it in the little menu, and then I ignored it for the rest of the game.
2: Yep, that was it. And there's an entire system based off of that, and that's what you got out of it. Feels bad. You know this game has crafting. <laughs> oh God, I hate it. I hate crafting in this game.
1: I crafted one thing. I crafted, like, a healing potion. Um, And then I remember I went in to go craft something else. And it was like, you can't do that, of course, because you don't have this material. And I had no idea where in this entire game I was going to get this material. And I didn't care enough about crafting a potion for plus five resolve or whatever (laughs) to go find this herb that only grows on one island to make it. So I never used the system. And it was dead.
2: The end. You know, that made me think I would have appreciated a system similar to The Witcher um, where the interesting part is like discovering the recipe and crafting it that first time. And then after that, you use some like generic item to just refill your uses. You know? And that way Mm -hmm. you're not like you don't have to keep on hunting down materials like the enjoyment, if there is enjoyment to be gained out of the system, I think is like hunting down cool recipes and being able to do something neat once you discover that recipe, like as in create something that's cool. But mm-hmm. after that, like I don't want to keep searching for freaking items like I, I did the part that was interesting, like crafting things for the first time. For the most part or generally when it, when the, when it's interesting to craft and then after that i just like I've, I've already been here just let me keep using the thing that i've unlocked uh and that's not i mean that's not how pillars kind of plays crafting system out and and you're right that like it's it's not exciting and it's not it's not compelling uh and it just seems to be just work and so you just ignore it
1: yeah like i, I have plenty of other consumables that I pick up and potions that through killing things or from buying them from a store what do i need to craft it for what what is different about this and maybe there are super powerful ones out there yeah
2: i don't know yeah but you never you never got there because the initial like your first time experience into the system is is underwhelming and so you're just like i'm not going to pursue this like i have a million things to do it's like a freaking 50 hour game anyway i'm not going to sit here and just craft Small healing potions that I'm going to find off the next guy I kill anyway. Um, I don't need anything from this,
1: and it is work to get anything out of it. Yep. And that was it. Yep. Um, yeah. Enchanting, very similar. Um, I never hunted anything. No. Nope. It was, I'd open an item, I would see what I already had to enchant it, I would pick that, and then I would close the menu. Mm-hmm. I was never like, ooh, I need to go find one of these blue gems to get this ice enchantment on this boat. Never, never. I was like, (laughs) how many do I have? Oh, I have four.
2: I need one. Cool, done, applied. Yeah. It's like, uh, and if you don't, you're like, all right, I guess I'll come back later. Maybe I'll have it then. Like, yeah, I I wouldn't even remember it. When I pick it up, I'm probably not even going to notice.
1: Because (laughs) items are so fluid in this game. Like, you get a new piece of gear, and it's just gone, and... All the money and the match you wasted on enchanting that old piece, they're gone. And if you spent, like, five hours hunting for an upgrade for that, oof, that's a waste of time.
2: Yeah, yeah, better spent leveling and encountering new monsters that will drop cooler stuff, And and yeah, yeah. It's funny that, like, the crafting progression is, like, best served by not focusing on crafting, instead focusing on exploration, and then crafting just kind of comes out of that. Um I will say that I thought enchanting was significantly better than crafting. Uh for a bunch of reasons. One, it's simpler. Um secondly, it is it's all the origin point for enchanting is the item that you actually presumably like and want to see more powerful. Mm-hmm. So you can be like like for instance with uh with Zodi's lantern. Um I really enjoyed how unique items had, you could upgrade their unique affixes. That was the coolest part of enchanting. Yes. And that was the only thing that I ever, in crafting that I ever came back to, was like, uh, because it's a really really easy, like, flow, because you're just like, this is cool. I want this to be stronger. Right click. Mm -hmm. Uh, Enchant. Uh, Here's a list of things. Um, You know, that I can actually look at what they do before I spend the crafting materials on them. Um, and then some of the, you know, many of the unique affixes had one or two upgrade paths for the affix. And that was really cool. And I think that was the crafting system. I think the best it got was unique, unique item enchants. Definitely. Yeah.
1: There, I, uh, I remember there was a bow that I had on my ranger for like half the game. Because I kept upgrading it because I loved it so much. It was like uh, one of the first upgrades I got for it, Fired an, instead of firing one arrow, it would instead fire like five. Yes. That did like a fifth of the damage. But then each of those could crit. So it's effectively doing more damage. And then I had some other effect on me, either through my character or an item or something, where wherever I crit, it would do an explosion. Ah, So I could... That was great. I, I love that weapon. That weapon was so cool. Enchanting was really good. Yeah. Um, the only only piece was the... Uh, I didn't want to go and hunt down stuff for it. And also, occasionally I would pick something, and other options would disappear.
2: Yes, and it wasn't clear when that was going to happen. Correct. Because sometimes it wouldn't,
1: and I could get all those unique effects on an item. And sometimes it would actually be an A or B choice. And I, I wouldn't know. The UI didn't tell me.
2: Right. It's presented in a single list. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a problem too. Fortunately, it's a problem solved by quick saving and quick loading. But when that's your answer, you've kind of already failed.
1: Right. Right. That, that UI needed
2: some work. It needed a lot of work. Um,
1: I wonder, yeah. was that a backer goal maybe or something?
2: That just <laughs> came in at
1: the last minute?
2: What, crap loads of inventory? like No, no, no. Enchanting in general. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, enchanting was in the first one. Okay, uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm like ninety percent sure it was in the first one, but I don't think it. I don't think you could. Actually, I don't, I don't want to say. I remember you could at least, uh, in like superior to exceptional, whatever. Fine, to superior to exceptional. I don't mm-hmm. remember if they had unique affixes, uh, but it, it it did exist. Um, I really, I really, yeah, I really hope the crafting system in general would have been overhauled. I was kind of hoping that they would have realized how. How there were huge sacrifices I think made to the game's complexity to allow for this inventory management system, and I, I, I don't know if they were like it's CRPG it has to have this, or or what because it felt like it the inventory system in general like the fact that for instance, um, that when you kill like an enemy, and you loot it, it's almost like the Fallout system where Another a lot of other games that are trying to be more realistic, where you'll be like, "I now I see everything that they've ever equipped and 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 fired at me," Um and Pillars didn't do that completely, but you would be in situations where you're like, "Now I have fifty long swords and and they're all like normal oh long swords and what." Past, like, level 10, like, what do you do with normal items, right? Like, you sell them. You get rid of them. You get rid of them. They are a waste of space. Um That being said, I was confused that they included that, but then didn't have a way for me to say, like, Darkest Dungeon does this, where you can just say, if I get this trinket ever again, automatically sell it. Like, mark it as junk, essentially. Um And Pillars did not have that, which, like... I can't dismantle normal weapons, so what What am I going to do with this? And the answer is, I'm going to sell it, right? Like you said. Mm-hmm. Then just cut out the middleman. Like, like junk it or turn it directly into gold when I pick it up. Like, don't even show me a normal longsword anymore. I do not need to see this in the game, ever.
1: Well, the game does do scaling, right? Um, as you level up, enemies stop having normal longswords and they all have fine or superior. But the same problem still exists. Right. Right? Like, I have my special kick-ass multiple ghost arrow bow. Every every exceptional bow that drops is going to the vendor. Yep. And that was a great source of money, but it could have been money on that character.
0: Right.
2: right. Um, and, and interesting, because then they included systems to not solve the problem, but to make the problem not as painful. Like. Right. Like the stash system, you can just you can pick things up directly to stash, and that's actually the default. Mm-hmm. And the stash can be uh, can be interacted with at literally any time except while you're in combat.
1: And character encumbrance isn't a thing. Yep. And,
2: yeah. So it's like it, it's like it was it was definitely clear to them that that's a problem. And as opposed to, from my perspective, trying to solve the root cause, which is just general inventory bloat. They instead develop systems to uh, manage the bloat. Not manage the inventory, but manage the inventory <laughs> bloat, which is different. So I,
1: I think I think it stems to Is that just like a CRPG conceit? it's some so many systems and so many aspects of this game are are just it it owes a too much of its identity to Baldur's Gate too. Mm-hmm um even the even the loot icon the glove holding the little ring that's the exact same icon for Baldur's gate right (laughs) like that can change the move icon being the the just it's the same it's the same and you don't have to do that you can be your own game so i'm wondering if it was like so Baldur's gate did the same thing if you killed an enemy it dropped exactly what it had yeah but every character had a weight limit based on their strength stat, just like Dungeons and Dragons. So you had a finite amount of inventory slots uh, until you got like your bags of holding and that kind of fun stuff, which was great. Um, but you, you had to manage what you picked up based on how much you could carry. And I think maybe they started this game off where, okay, well, they're going to drop what they're equipping because we have to, it's a CRPG and it's like oh well we want to have this crafting system okay cool make a bunch of items for crafting oh well we want to have food and you know be, that be a thing alright make a bunch of items for that and then it all comes together when they're doing integration and they're like oh shit we, I can't hold all these items where are yeah. my bag slots like my characters are getting overburdened and then at that point maybe it's just too late right, like, right. We, we we know how games are developed <laughs> Right. Sometimes right. when uh when by the end when everything starts coming together, it's just like oh 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 there are problems here.
2: Right. Uh, and then the you know the fun like looking back is like well we just shouldn't have done it this way. And you're like cool, <laughs> but here we are, and now we're not going to remove this feature entirely because at that at that point it's it's integral. Uh, it's like now right. we just need a, a way to manage it. And you're like okay, well there's some things that I can tack on. I like uh I can. Like an odd, like the sorting function is one way, and like filters, and they added like a search bar later to the, to your inventory. And those are all band aids, right? Yeah. Getting um, rid
1: of encumbrance, not worrying about any of that. Infinite, infinite item slots, like band aids.
2: Right. Right. To a system that I think just, it's just seen, it's, it's, it's just an old, it's, it's has a lot of age to it. It's an archaic system that's, in my perspective, it, uh, it does more wrong than it does right, um, but if you had asked me like 15 years ago, I probably wouldn't have said that. Right. Yeah, I'd have been like, "No, man, this is this is Baldur's Gate, this is D and D. Like, this is you have to do it this way." Yeah, like what you're gonna just kill a guy and he's just not gonna drop anything, but like he was attacking you with a sword, like that's crazy. And and now I'm kind of on the other side of that fence.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that and that kind of circles back to this game. Like, I I think it was a very good game. I enjoyed my time with it a lot, but I wanted it. I want it to elevate these systems that have been around for decades. Yep. I, don't, I don't want you to just keep inheriting that. You can say a different line other than you must gather your party before venturing forth. Like, that's, a, that's okay to record a different line for that now. Like, <laughs> I get it. You can move on. You can be better. And that's why maybe I overlooked... A lot of the flaws with exploration and the islands and sailing around, just because it was very new, yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that a lot. I, I, I don't know, just because it was different and unique that this game did.
2: Right, and, and in a lot of ways, it it seemed like this game was kind of uh, beholden to what had come before it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't, know, I don't know what kind of game it would have been if they had gone a different direction. Um, I just know that, like the game as it currently stands, easy to draw a line back to where these systems originated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And then, of course, you run into the problem with any genre game where if you go too far, then you alienate the whole reason people have come in the first place.
2: Right, right. And your new system might be better, but if no one gives it a chance, it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. like we've been talking a lot about stuff we don't like which is we too have. bad because i think it, well this, this
2: game we've been lot, talking right?
1: about aspects that could have been better
2: right right um well what's an example of something that the game did well in the vein of voice acting i think there were some few there were a few uh, characters i wanted to call out particularly for i think not only being great voice acting but also a great choice for the character um uh, i thought ethos was excellent um, I thought he, his lines were delivered well. I th- I thought it would be kind of difficult to toe the line between like compassionate, yet at the same time like above compassion, um, mm-hmm. and patient, yet still driven, right? Because he never, it never really. And I I didn't play the very end, but Aethos, in my experience, never appeared impatient with you. Um, and uh, did not did not make light of the of what he was doing, um, because you even talk about him sometimes. You're just like, you know, who are you to take this high ground? Like getting through this story, like you've just killed thousands of people, yeah. like, just through just you know, as a, incidentally, and he even has like a line where he's just like yeah and that's 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 regrettable, and you know this is towards something greater to save like these souls in the future and I think those lines are delivered very well they're not um they're not arrogant uh but they're also they don't dodge responsibility they're just kind of like, yep, this is the way it is, and it's really unfortunate um they're somehow compassionate. Uh, and so Heather, he did a great job um, I really enjoyed the Huana uh, speech cadence and the expressions they used because so they say I say a lot mm-hmm. uh, so Queen Onakaza II, the queen of the Huana, I thought was an excellent choice for her, both her voice acting and, and the delivery of the actual voice and then the, the fit to the character I thought was excellent as well as her brother I thought did a great job as well yeah, and, and I really like how in both in the first pillars and in this one, they spend a lot of time just fleshing out the background, and so that when you meet a character who is a prominent character in the mythos, um, they have they have a story, they have motivation, and in the case of the Huana, they actually have like a linguistic system that is distinct and it's recognizable, and I thought that was really cool.
1: And kind of the, um, so Pillars 1 didn't have this. They introduced this in Tyranny and brought it over into Pillars 2 where they would use terms in uh, the text or like a specific word from the Huana language and you could mouse over it and have it explained to you. Nice. That helped, that helped me so much. <laughs> and yeah. I really, really loved it. Um, Pillars 1 didn't have that and I found myself getting lost quite a bit.
2: But didn't they have some mouse over text? Which Maybe, not, for, not for language?
1: Not not at the extent that it's here. Yeah. Um, I really believe that came in with tyranny.
2: Maybe that was where I saw it. Um, I actually, I agree. I really, really, really enjoyed the fact that I could mouse over things and read about them without having to move to a different menu. Um, yeah. I think it was... I know we were just talking about how some systems in the inventory were like band-aids for bigger problems. And I think that you could make the case that that's what this is also but it didn't feel like that it felt like the game was being honest about the fact that there is a lot of lore and unsurprisingly you will not remember any (laughs) arbitrary piece at any given time and thusly you will not be able to make great decisions because you have no context and so we're going to provide you with this and maybe it's a crutch, sure, but it's a good crutch. It is a great crutch to have because it's honest about the, the breadth of the lore but it still wants you to be able to make good decisions that you feel happy about
0: well
1: i mean uh it's kind of the same thing in D. you know there are things that your character knows that you don't know as a player mm-hmm. and um like i would run into this in my games where i know my character remembers the name of this person but i as a player forgot to write that down so i could tell the gm it's like i don't remember who that is Who who is that right mm-hmm. It's the same thing, really. It's your character in this world would know what that means. Right. You would remember who this god is because you literally have spoken to them.
2: Right. And when in reality, I loaded a game from two weeks ago and I forget. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and all the god voices I thought were really good. Um, I Like you mentioned earlier, I really enjoy those interactions. They're really powerful. Um, and I like how they change throughout the game. You know, to being first like you were basically an ant to to then you discover you're basically holding all the cards.
1: Really, uh, really good writing on this game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the first one was a little too verbose. Mm-hmm. Um a little little over over reliance on reading and just getting through flowerly language. I think this one had a much better balance.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. The first one felt like they were in love with the language so much they just wanted to live in yes. it and uh and the language i mean it was very good so i can i can understand that um i mean i would be blown away if i could write something like that like they did a really good job um but i think yeah i think the second one was able to not only improve but also uh what's the word kind of like, uh, distill it a bit mm-hmm. without kind of they wouldn't go all and rice on this when they just like wrote like <laughs> 50 pages or something that could be two
0: pages Think, uh, I think we've exhausted our notes on this game. Yeah, I think you might be right. Got any final thoughts? Uh, I feel like we spent most of the time knocking this game down, but uh, I want
2: to make it clear that I really enjoyed it. And it definitely had its flaws, but they were completely outshone by things this game did really well, which was present a very compelling story that had, init- that had Overall, had both uh stakes, personal stakes, and grandiose like universal stakes, um, and it was, and it, I think it did a great job of transitioning you into like this prime mover in the story from being just like, you know, a dude that meets some gods, um, you know, or or a girl, and um, I I think it's very difficult to do that, and he did a great job. Um, they really improved combat, which was my biggest problem with the first game. Um, I want to see what comes next. Um, I don't know. I haven't really been watching like what the plan is after this, but um, I really want them to challenge themselves in finding a new way to represent old systems. Um, I think if they can do that, then they can really evolve the genre, because there are no other CRPGs out there that are doing this any better, and I think the genre can be better. And I want to see Obsidian pull that off.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Like we, we we saw this revitalization of you know the the top-down isometric RPG. I want to say maybe five years ago is when maybe five or eight is when it really started picking up speed. Where you got like the. Sh- uh, Shadow runs coming back. You got Wasteland. You got Pillars One. You mm-hmm. know, and everything's kind of coming back. It's like no people. People like these types of games, but there really hasn't been a real significant push forward in the genre since they started coming back. Other than look, they're pretty and in three D now.
2: Right, right, and I mean the the graphics engine for Pillars Two seemed much improved. Lighting was definitely something that uh you really saw in a different light oh yeah (laughs) there were beautiful moments the the whole intro
1: section was phenomenal i thought yeah Yeah.
2: i really enjoyed the dynamic lighting from uh zodi's lantern Mm -hmm. um it was kind of hilarious when it would still show when you were sneaking around which was funny i felt like she put a cover on it i don't know (laughs) maybe no one can see soul light i don't really know um but yeah the lighting looked great um the water looked okay Uh yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. I no, you're, you're right
1: though, like, like the, at the end of the day, just next one, just push it forward a bit more. like keep, keep going forward, you've proven, you can stand on your own, you know you still take too much from Baldur's Gate, but I, I your story, you did a really good job. I love the world that you've built here. I love the gods and the dynamic with all the people. I I just want to see the genre
2: pushed forward a bit more next time.
0: Right. I really. Anything
2: else to add?
1: Yeah, play this game. As critical (laughs) as we were, seriously, it it, it's it's out of love and it's it's just pointing out things and different decisions and different paths that could have been taken. Right. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think I speak for both of us when we say
2: this game's worth your time. Definitely, definitely. Well. Uh, Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Uh, Do you know what we're going to play next?
1: Oh, I think we'll take our
0: listeners on a bit of an odyssey. Until then, thanks for joining us.